welcome to Managing Well. We're so excited to have Dr. Akuya Watton as our guest today talking about creating inclusive workspaces for Black women. She is in private practice in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and I want to tell you a little bit more about, about Dr. Aquia before we get into our conversation. Dr. Aquia is a licensed psychotherapist specializing in individual and couples therapy. She's a master's degree in clinical psychology from Alabama A&M University and a PhD in marriage and family therapy from Eastern University. In addition to providing psychotherapy, Dr. Aquia conducts psychological testing and lends her expertise through speaking engagements, consulting with organizations, and content creation. I am so excited to have this conversation with you today, Dr. Aquia. Thank you for being a guest. My pleasure. I'm so excited to be here. Wonderful. Um, let's just jump right in. Let's just jump right in with our conversation. Uh, and so, you know, we talked about creating an inclusive workplace for Black women. And so I, let me hear from you, your perspective. Are the needs of Black women different from the needs of other people? It's hmm. an excellent question. I believe that the needs of Black women are unique, but they're also human. There are some similarities that we all need in a workspace to be able to be heard, to be seen, to be valued, to be um, celebrated for our difference, the things that we bring to the table that are unique, that are dynamic, that are special, the things that you think of that makes a person hire you, right? Those things to be celebrated. So some of the, the, the core elements uh, of a Black woman are just human and natural. And then there are unique things, right? Our culture, the way that we um, uh, see the world, the way that we see people, the way that we see systems from a collectivist perspective. And so, yes, the needs are unique. However, so are everyone else's. And so the way that we uh, want to be treated and seen is to be valued for our difference and our humanness. I love that point of the uniqueness and humanness that you're saying, and that yeah. there is a unique perspective and experience that is also very, very human. Mm -hmm. um, could you say a little bit more, you said, you know, the unique experience, or, you know, you said, excuse me, the unique perspective Mm -hmm. of, of Black women and our culture. And I think I just want to say, you know, as uh, us, we're both Black women and we are not a monolith, right? There's so many differences among us. Um, but I'm just curious to hear a little bit more about that, that unique perspective that, that we bring to the workplace. Yes. Well, I think that we are drenched in culture, right? The way that we um, see people, the way that we um, see systems, right? Whether it may be that we, in the workplace, we might even see our team as um, a group of family or a, a team dynamic might be um, to connect with someone on a personal level in order to work with them on a professional level. That is drenched in black culture, right? The way that we see the individuality of a person and welcome it and celebrate it is drenched in our culture. The way that we might even see progress and expansion is drenched in culture. We cannot divorce ourselves from not only the dynamic of our um, African his history, but we can also 
begin to see how that plays a part in the expansion of organization, the expansion of industry that has been, again, closely connected to the culture and the vibrance that we have. And so you're talking about the, you know, our, our culture, and then we go into a workplace that was likely not designed by us, not designed by our culture, right? And so when we're thinking and talking about going into inclusive workspaces, what, I think first, what does that word inclusive mean to you? And then how, how do then Black women show up in those spaces? Right. Well, we have to think about the origin, the ethos of the team dynamic, right? And so when you're thinking about including something, it can't be an afterthought. It has to be a part of the core ethos of what you're doing. And so some teams right now, some organizations right now need to go back to the bones. They need to go back to the mission and vision and think about, is this mission and vision not only celebrating uh, uh, the majority, and it's even I even shrink to say majority at this point, <laughs> right? But that's a historic, sure. right? Sure. <laughs> um, is it is it not only celebrating the mind, the uh, the vibrance, the perspective of the majority, but is it celebrating the minority? Is it celebrating the unique perspectives that we're bringing, right? And so when you're thinking about including. It means that you have purposely and intentionally thought about the culture, the perspective, and the things that are important to Black people, Black women. And to your point of going back and starting over, not an add-on, right? But from the ground up, like you said, going back to the bones to make sure that it is part of the fabric of the foundation, not in addition. Yes. Okay. So inclusivity for you in organizations is it's the fabric of the foundation. Mm -hmm. Yes. And it includes, and this is the tough part for, for many people. It includes a surrender. You have to say more. What does that mean? It includes a surrender of the, um, the origin of the mission and vision that you have had in the past that did not include our perspective. And that surrender comes with including, right, including people, including Black women into the process of rethinking this organization. The surrender looks like I can't do it on my own. I am not the expert. I don't have wisdom on this. And so I must surrender the power, the dominance, And the perspective that I believe is chief and superior in order to include another perspective. So you're really talking about shifting the power dynamics from a top-down, one way of thinking is the right way to a more collective perspective of how we collectively agree to how there might be multiple ways that are right and valued and, and seen, yes. right? Yeah. And, you know, I think sometimes people um, in, in leadership could hear this and think, well, we have to have hierarchy. And that's actually not what we're talking about, right? We, 
No, not everybody can make all decisions. Nothing will happen that way. <laughs> but to your point of the collective um, agreement of what is of what is valued and what is important, and for people who have historically held those positions of power, your point of of surrendering, which is which is, I think, a process that they have to go through, but a necessary one to truly be inclusive. Exactly. And so it's including per the perspective of everyone in the organization, which includes Black women, and then also creating spaces within uh, the C-suite, within administration, so that the unique perspectives, whether that be mental health breaks, whether, whether that be what, what it feels like after we go through a shooting over the weekend or the week before, what, what is needed how do we address the human experience of the Black people that are working within your organization? You may not know how to do that. And so you need to surrender power and, and listen to the people that you've included into your circles of trust to help you. I'm also hearing about some organizations that get it right are ones, the way I heard you describe it. So tell me if, if I'm getting it, what you're saying right. Ones that see the full experience of their employees. Mm -hmm. And when you mentioned shootings that unfortunately happen too much in this country, in the US, um, especially of black people, when you mentioned that in terms of the impact it has on black employees, black women, um, the way I'm understanding it, to, so to be an inclusive workplace, you have to have an understanding of that. Like that, that can't just be a soundbite that you just see on the news and you keep going about your day. But you have to have an understanding that, oh, what is a soundbite to me mm -hmm. affects other people very differently. Yes. And so I'm going to show up at work and plow through my to-do list. Mm -hmm. But other people may not be able to because the tragedy that happened again and again and again mm -hmm. is impacting them as a human, which then impacts them in how they show up at work. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. What are some other, um, I think, ways or examples you might, might share with everybody in terms of workplaces that get inclusivity right? Mm. Well, I, I think a part of what you just said is 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 key, right? Uh, a, a rich understanding of the full experience of a Black woman, whether that be culture, whether that be um, the history of work for Black women, right? Same way, yes, the ways that organizations have failed to recognize what is true for us, right? That a part of our story is being invisible, right? Yes, yes. A yes. very rich part of our history and experience is being invisible, right? And so your knowledge and education of from the top down, the history of black people what it looks like in the world, in society, which informs work, which informs industry, which informs administration and, and the ways that people even form companies, 
right? Educating yourself is important. It's a part of, it's the beginning of inclusion, right? And so if you're, if you're doing it right, you're educating yourself first. That's a starting point. That's a starting point. That's a starting point, right? (laughs) But it is the key point because anything that you're doing from there is null and void if you have not educated yourself. True. True. Right. And then from there to be able to, again, look at the things that the organization have has instituted, right? With the gaze of a Black woman, right? To be able to look at it, um, to see in what spaces have we confirmed their invisibility? Say more about that, confirming invisibility. That could be in our uh, the way that we've written our manuals, right? Does it include Black hair as being a part of what's professional, <laughs> right? That's just a simple example, right? Does it um, overlook specific and unique um, needs that a Black woman might have? or that black people might have. So I wanna go back to the hair for a minute um, because some listeners might say, why do we need to specifically call out black hair in our policies? And I think what I just wanted to pull out is that often black hair is discriminated against in policies without naming it as black hair. Mm -hmm. So hairstyles that traditionally black people wear, right, are, are what's called out in policies as being unprofessional. So wearing braids, wearing cornrow, having, you know, big afros. Um, they, I have seen in policies where braids are unacceptable. They're not considered professional. And so what you're saying is, I think a first point is when you go back to the foundation and you're skimming through things, what needs to be taken out because it's not affirming everybody. It's not affirming black women. Um, but I hear you saying, going a step further, <laughs> And in, in policies that are describing what is professional, that you show Black women with different types of hair as examples of professionalism, not just showing white people as examples of professionalism. Is that, am I getting that? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So there are, there are, uh, his, there's a history of, um, inf- um, I said confirming, but really, um, perpetuating these uh, ideas and um, isms as we talk about in culture within workspaces. And so doing an inventory, a a look through, an evaluation and assessment of how your organization might be perpetuating these uh, stereotypes and um, really this harm within your organization is a part of it too, right? So educating, evaluating, is important. And then including um, Black voices within the new way of thinking about uh, your organization, its future, and the ways that you're supporting and celebrating the Black perspective and voice. You know, as you were talking, I was thinking so often, the point about education is so necessary and important. And I think so often, when we educate ourselves, we tend to turn to the people right in our sphere who we see. <laughs> and we saw a lot of this after George Floyd was murdered. We, we heard, and, and I think probably both of us, I know I experienced myself, um, a lot of white folk coming to us saying, how, just people with a new awareness to them mm-hmm. 
turning to the closest black person in their sphere to have discussions with them without properly vetting is this is this a strong enough relationship where it is appropriate for me to come to this person and ask? And so I think the piece I wanted to kind of tease out here is, you know, if people managers start looking at, start trying to educate themselves and like looking at our policies and our practices and how are we um, not seeing our black women, black employees um, and need to see it differently, sometimes they'll turn to black people on their team Right. and ask for their input and perspective. And so I think I just wanted to say first, determine if that's appropriate. I think pause and determine yeah. if that's appropriate because if you're a person in power, mm-hmm. going to somebody who reports to you asking for their opinion, it will take a lot of courage and a huge risk on their part mm-hmm. to then give you that honest feedback because they could put their job at risk. <laughs> um, exactly. So it might not be appropriate to ask the people in your, in your sphere. And I think the other point I just want to say and pull out thinking about the invisible nature of black women's work is that if you were to turn and ask black women for their input into, and to help you educate yourself, they're then not recognized for that. They're not, they're not publicly recognized for it. They are not compensated for it. So it's again, perpetuating the invisible labor of black women in the attempt to educate oneself to support black women. And so I think I just want to kind of tease that out that part of this is seeing the person and making what has been invisible, very visible. Yes, yes, very good point. And that brings out to clarify what I meant by that is to not go to people on your team (laughs) for this level of education and clarity. It is seek counsel, (laughs) right? Um, From groups like the Ladipo group, (laughs) right? That will help support you with education and training. Um, There are so many resources online that um, allow administration to go through their own educational process, right? Um, I think of the, um, uh, if just from my memory, um, Dr. Emily Anholt has the, um, has started an organization or co-founded organization that comes in that does mental health fitness for your organization as well, right? So there are so many resources out there that, that can really support you in educating yourself outside of your personnel, outside of your employees. The second word I was going to say, invisibility is important for them, for a person to educate themselves on. The second word that is core to Black women and Black people is safety. In what way does your organization address safety, psychological safety, emotional safety, right? Within within your teams, within your organizations, Um, because, not because uh, black women need some special support from you, it is statistics. If you just look at any statistics of any organization, they're driven by numbers, right, often. If you look at the people that are leaving your organization, one of the number one things that will come up, and I'm a therapist, so I hear it every day, (laughs) right? I don't feel safe in my team. I don't feel safe with my supervisor. I don't feel safe. I don't feel seen. 
Can you give some examples of what you mean and what you hear from your clients about not feeling safe? Because I think for people who have not had the experience mm-hmm. of being the only, yes, or one of a few where it always feels like the only, mm-hmm. if you haven't had that experience, it can be hard to understand what that's like and what not having that safety feels like. So can you just give some really concrete examples of how black women don't feel psychologically safe in some workplaces? Right. And number one, I think a key theme that I hear uh, among black women is that they are not seen. What does that look like? That looks like um, a person in a meeting that might give an, uh, an idea or something that they've thought about taking time to really um, add value to the team. And it's not taken as a valid idea or someone says something exactly the same or similar, right? That could be a white person. And they are credited for that idea when it comes from a black woman, right? And so you don't feel safe to be seen for your ideas, for the value that you're bringing to the team, for the work that you're putting in to really become a dynamic team member. So your point of, if you're not, if you're not seen, you can't be, you can't be safe, right? Completely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because and- the way that work, the, the way that, that um, production work or the way that, um, we are evaluated at work is based on our productivity. And if our productivity is not seen, we are unsafe for expansion, for elevation, for promotion, to be seen as a a valid work, um, uh, you know, a worker. True. Very true. You know, something I've heard, and I'd like to hear more from you, um, you know, Black women who are assertive, mm-hmm. are often perceived as being aggressive. Mm-hmm. And so I think if you could just say a little bit more about that bias and stereotype that is placed on black women before they even walk in the door, before people know who they are as a person, um, could you say it from twofold, what that is like for a black woman to have to navigate, but then what, could their people managers kind of do differently to help that situation be different? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I often tell people if organizations, people in general were to uh, attempt to be more sensitive and inclusive of black women, it would help them. it would humanize their experience in general. You would become a person that sees humans as all valuable. So I just want, you've said the word human and humanized several times. So I just want to be, be crystal clear because again, if it's not someone's experience, it, it can be hard to understand. So are you saying that black women are not seen as fully human when they're at work? Mm-hmm. For the dynamic, for the fragility, for the delicate nature that we might be as people, for um, even even having emotion, right, is a very human thing, right? And so I bring, keep bringing it back to human because in some way it may even register to a person mm-hmm. that this is a birthright, that everyone does have the right 
to be seen for all of the layers that they may bring to the system. Mm -hmm. Right. And so how can people managers lead a team that feels, that is, excuse me, that is psychologically safe, that sees the humanity in black women and everybody else. What can people managers do? Yes, listen more than you speak. Number one, ask questions. Inquire about the holistic nature of a person, not just what they produce. Seek to understand reactions instead of assuming what they might be. Those are four things. <laughs> Those are really, you, you said four really quick, mm -hmm. really important things. That was just really powerful. Those four key points. Um, that again, you said them quickly. And I think I just, I'm emphasizing it because it sounds easy, but it's really not. It's not. It's really not. And I think I want to kind of circle back to something you said earlier um, about surrendering and recognizing your power and surrendering and not holding all of it, but sharing it. Um, because to do what you said, to listen more than you speak, mm -hmm. when you are a person who the world always wants to hear from. So I want to just be clear here. If you're a white man, the world always wants to hear what you have to say. And so as a little boy, you've been raised where people always want to hear what you have to say. Yeah. And so as an adult, if we're now saying, listen more than you speak and ask questions to get understanding, that's very, very different than how most people, excuse me, than how most men have been raised. Mm -hmm. And so it's not a skill set that everybody has. The great news is it's a skill set that can be learned. Just because you don't have it doesn't mean you can't acquire it with a lot of practice. Yeah. Um, but I think I just wanted to call that out because it's not something that you can quickly do overnight. Um, it's something that's going to take practice, but the benefit will be, will be great. Yes. Yes. Some of these things require your own psychological work. So, okay. Say, yeah. say more about that because when we're talking about people managers, and I think I will say, I, I feel like as a U.S. culture, we're starting to see how important mental health is and how important it is in the workplace to pay attention to it. But say more from the perspective of a people manager trying to create an inclusive workspace, what you mean by doing your own psychological work. Mm -hmm. The good thing is there is an asset, right? People managers, typically when we think about doing um, like the Strong's inventory and many of the, uh, the inventories that we take for work, people managers are actually have a sensitivity towards people right? They like people. And that also corresponds with um, understanding people. The challenge with some of the work that people managers have to do, it really requires them to divorce their, their nature <laughs> from their productivity. And so doing your own psychological works, first of all, it empowers you, it helps you. It also heals you from being on a hamster wheel of productivity without seeing people. 
right? And so that looks like looking at your own biases. That means looking at your own history, your own childhood, the ways that the uh, organization that you're a part of and now leading in some way has informed you, has made you move out of a space of mindfulness and working slowly and being able to see people and elevate people, just like the nature that you have as a manager, that you want to see people win. I believe that. But sometimes the way that you've learned to work mm-hmm. in advance mm-hmm. may divorce that internally for you. Psychological work helps you to reunite with that. That's, that's perfect. That's understanding the humanness in all of us that has been taught out of some of us. Yes. And again, I'm just going back to what you said at the beginning in terms of Black women and their culture and how we see things. And it's very much connected to what you're saying will be really helpful for people managers in terms of seeing the humanity in other people too. Yes. Yes. So I just have a few more, a few more questions because I'm, I'm mindful of our time. Um, you know, we hear a lot about toxic work environments. Um, and I think if you could, if you could explain the impact toxic work environments have on black women, I think that, I think that will be a piece of the education that you recommended earlier. Um, and so let our listeners benefit from your expertise from the many, many Black women who you have counseled, what is it like for them? What impact this toxic work environments that are not inclusive have on their being? Mm. It stifles creativity. It, it begins to suffocate the soul Ooh. of Black women, which we use to work. We use our soul to work. We use our creativity to work. We use our spirit to work. And when that is not, uh, there's no space for that, it begins to die. That impacts our health, high blood pressure, heart disease, extreme stress, lack of sleep, insomnia. It, It begins to impact our creativity, not participating in meetings anymore showing up to work late, wanting to leave early, not having a positive attitude. It begins to to just suffocate our spirit, right? The mm-hmm. ways that we, that we show vibrance and, and creativity and, and, and um, lightness at work and change the dynamic of a meeting that we're in. And bringing our best selves to work. Exactly. exactly. You know, that was so, um, I had chills as you were speaking because it was so true. It is so true. And for the people who are listening to think that when you have workplaces that are harmful, where people do not feel psychologically safe, where they do not feel seen, or they are invisible, when all of that happens to Black women, you get a fraction mm-hmm. of their capability. Exactly. Which I also want to highlight. If you get a fraction of their capability and you have black women on your team who are killing it, 
imagine how much better it could be. That is just to me so powerful to think of like, oh, but they're doing a great job and you only have a fraction. Exactly, exactly. You know, um, I think I wanna ask an organizational question because I, I think that's important. I'm curious for people managers and an organization, what can they do from a policy perspective to promote inclusive work environments so that you know our listeners or people managers can do what they can for their team but how can they how can they do what they can for their team and how can the organization do what it, it can for everybody right um how can that happen in a concrete policy-based way so that it does not simply rely on the goodness of the individual manager. Right. Very good. Very good question. Um, so obviously the same things that we've talked about, educating yourself, um, having an awareness of what are the key historical factors that we need to be thinking about, his safety, invisibility, all of that. Um, and then also how does that... Um, kind of correspond with the, you can look at trends, right? A lot of organizations, if you think about, um, um, one of them being Asana has started to institute uh, mental health packages within their organization that looks like uh, mental health breaks, reevaluating their policies uh, of how people can take off work um, is one example. Creating uh, ERGs, right? Resource groups, which are in, hopefully drenched in safety, right? Where you have an affinity group where people can feel safe to be seen and then also to share their ideas and what they what they think about the organization and their, and their time there. Taking surveys, anonymous surveys and uh, assessments that people can really tell you the truth about who you are. One of the most powerful things a leader can do is listen to how uh, people experience them as a leader. And so being able to institute that within their organization is really important and um, taking an inventory with companies that like the Depot Group but other companies that will help come and look at your policies, surrendering that level of power so that people can look at what you've instituted and to see, is it inclusive? Is it safe? Do people that look like me really do resonate and feel psychologically safe in the environment? And so it's system, it's the way that you, um, the way that you evaluate the, the systems that you already have, and then how you listen to the people that are already there. That's perfect. That's perfect. You know, one thing I was thinking of when you were talking about some of the examples you listed out um, is making sure that you have an inclusive lens in evaluating, or not, excuse me, not evaluating, making sure you have an inclusive lens in the benefits that you're offering your people. So you're mentioning Asana and the mental health benefits, right? And so making sure that as you offer mental health benefits to everybody, that everybody has access to a counselor that they feel connected to. So if you yeah. offer mental health benefits, everybody, well, that's wonderful. But research has shown that black people in particular feel more connected and better, they feel more connected in therapy when they're meeting with a black therapist. So if you are only offering mental health benefits mm -hmm. and all of the therapists are white, yeah. That's not an inclusive benefit, right? On paper, it looks good, but in practice, it doesn't. 
And if you offer a great, you know, PTO and um, leave care leave, but you define it to a biological in, uh, immediate family system, mm-hmm. as opposed to, this is true, definitely in the black community and other communities as well. Family may not be blood related, Correct. but you may take care of them like their blood. Mm-hmm. And so if you can't get leave off of work to take care of a family member, because it's not defined as the way the company defines it, that's not an inclusive policy, right? So these are the things that when you think about policy and system that you need another gaze, you need another eye on that you may overlook that inherently creates that invisibility that we feel. This has been such a rich conversation. And I'm wondering if there is any I want to leave, leave you with the, the final word um, that you want our listeners to consider. If there was, you know, one or two things you could tell them that they can, after listening to our, our talk, that they can go do, which is going to be a step toward creating an inclusive workspace for them. What would you suggest they do? Yes. If you are a Black woman, you are creative, dynamic, beautiful, amazing, brilliant. Create a space for yourself if it's not in the... In- organization that you're in that celebrates, fosters, and elevates that. It could be at home. It could be a, a, a sister chat. It could be the, the ERG that you have at work. Don't let it die because someone else doesn't have the capacity to foster it just yet. If you're an organization, educate yourself. Take, take the moment to just do the work. You will benefit from it. Your organization will become more successful. You will be more productive, but most importantly, you will make impact. That is the thing that the world needs, more human impact. Organizations that are doing that or people are flocking to them. They are being recruited in (laughs) for psychological safety. Do the research and look this up for psychological safety for feeling that they can be themselves at work and the fact that they are seen. It is a new world. And so if you're in an organization, keep up with it, do the, do the work and you will become more successful than you ever could imagine. Dr. Kwea, thank you so, so much for your expertise, your time, your knowledge, your transparency. Uh, I think we, I know I've learned a lot. I am confident that people listening have learned a lot. So. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Managing Well. And again, um, just sharing so much of you. Thank you. Pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Managing Well podcast. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to learn more about today's topic, go to www.theladipogroup.com slash podcast for a worksheet on today's episode.